1: Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to today's show. Of course, we're here on New Southern Garden to talk everything about your gardens and landscapes. I say everything. We could not do that in one hour, you know. So uh, we're going to talk about some things. uh, But, of course, if you want to know everything, well, you can always check out New Southern Garden online at NewSouthernGarden.com. And, of course, Facebook and Instagram. And any of the podcasting apps uh, that you've got on your smart devices, your smartphones, tablets, whatnot and uh, you can catch up. You can catch up for the past four. I think we're pushing five years, so I'll have to double check that, Mr. Producer, but it's been a while. So we've got every week here on WRWH bringing you the information you need, particularly on the weekend. When you get outside, and I hope you're gardening during the week too. Uh, But of course, the things that are happening and changing because of the season, because we're pushing in to spring, it's nice. It's nice. It's really getting hot too. I was just talking to somebody the other day at the nursery. I said, you know, here in the South, we sort of miss spring, don't we? It's like we go from winter, then maybe three days of spring, and then it feels like summer. But you've got to remember that the nighttime temperatures are warming up, and that's what we're hoping for because, of course, the nighttime temperatures are what uh, the nighttime temperatures are going to start dictating a lot of things and a lot of changes that happen in the landscape. Uh, For instance, we're not really seeing certain plants uh, doing much. We've got gardenias. Remember, they were hit pretty hard with our strange winter weather that we had. Uh, The gardenias are classic to the south, those shiny evergreen leaves with those beautiful white, rosy-like flowers that are super fragrant in the summer. Some of them are large and can be great screens, and some of them are small and can be foundation plants or used with perennials. Uh, but those got hit pretty hard, and they were set back. Same with tea olive, and Laura Pedlum, some azaleas, even camellia. I mean, folks, these are plants that we've been using in the South for a long time, and they've been hit by this cold that we had. And so until we get to like a... A steady night temperature. If we can hang out in the 50s, you know, sometimes we dip down into the 40s. And so don't give up on some of these plants that aren't doing much yet. It's not just the daytime temperatures, plants respond to both. They need warm temperatures at night, warm temperatures during the day. It's just that you and I are asleep at night, so we rarely contemplate or think how cold it might be outside because we're tucked in warm and cozy in our beds. But these plants, of course, are out there in the environment. They're getting all the cold that uh, may be coming at night, or they're getting the warm that may be coming at night. And until that nighttime temperature sort of gets dependable, don't give up on some of the plants that might have been damaged by the cold. Uh, They will come. They will come. It's just going to take a while. We're already seeing gardenias starting with tiny new buds, new green growth. And I think that the rest will soon to follow. Some plants just naturally are going to wait until it's very warm. Some of the salvias, particularly if you're using the very heat-loving salvias. Uh, let's see, hot-lip salvias, a greggy eye. Uh, we've seen it flushing out in our greenhouses, but not necessarily outside. Just maybe a little bit of growth and the hibiscus the not the tropical hibiscus those definitely wouldn't wouldn't have made it outside over winter particularly this year or any year for that matter Uh, but the Perennial hibiscus, which we've talked about before, uh, most of these are going to be native to the southeast, to North America, and be hybrids of different uh, species, but they like it really warm. So we're seeing some some growth coming up right out of the ground with new hibiscus stems. Uh, but there are a number, of th- maybe some grasses, uh, I hate to say it, but that beautiful pink muley grass, which is a late-blooming um grass. It's got those fluffy pink clouds. Looks like cotton candy in the air. The muley has probably had a bit of damage, uh, but on top of that, uh, it's not really warmed up yet. It has in the daytime, but don't forget about those nighttime temperatures. So don't give up on plants that aren't responding to these day temperatures. They're really looking to respond to the night temperatures, so we will get there uh, soon enough. Now, with that being said... Let's talk about some plants. Let's talk about some plants. Uh, First of all, today we're going to talk about, I think we're going to title this show, Gardening with the Blues. Gardening with the Blues. Because uh, we're not talking about being down or depressed. Even though if you are down, feeling depressed, and you get outside, any plant, any garden is surely to help lift your spirit by some degree. Uh, But rather, today we're talking about gardening with blue, the color. Gardening with the blues, the color. So we're particularly talking about plants that have flowers that are blue. Now this is hard to come by. True blue is hard to find in the plant world. Sometimes true blue is so rare that when we see it on a flower, on a plant, it looks unnatural. (laughs) The sky is blue. The leaves are green, the grass is green, Uh, flowers are red, yellow, orange, purple, all those things, but rarely do we see blue. And blue can be a very cooling color. You know, blue being a cool color uh, will help bring about some relaxation. So if you're using blue in the landscape, uh, it's not a bad idea to use blue near a patio, near a porch, uh, near somewhere where you may be resting, relaxing, even in the shade. If you're using blues that are in the shade, you will definitely have a quite relaxing atmosphere around you. Now, with that being said, blue is also contrasting with orange. Remember, we've talked about using contrasting colors before. And if you look on the color wheel, you've got uh, orange and blue directly across from each other on the color wheel. So with that in mind, any color that are opposing each other, on the color wheel are high contrast. So don't be scared to use blue with some of these very warm, very hot colors. I mean, blue and orange do look good together. I know there's probably some folks uh, in... Is it Auburn? Is that right? I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a big sports guy, but uh, you've got those two colors. They look good together naturally. They give you high impact and high contrast. And so using uh, blue with orange coreopsis or uh, something like that, or Cosmos, some egg, some great orange annual plants. That will give you some really impact. And, and blue looks good with yellow. Blue looks good uh, with almost anything. So be sure that when you're designing your landscape or out there looking for new plants, that you're considering blue. Now, let's talk a little more about the word blue as far as horticulture and gardening is concerned. Sometimes in this business, we call purples blue. We do. And I think we do that because as gardeners and horticultural people, we try to get blue when blue is not available. So in other words, there are plenty of shades of purple that may be pushed to the blue, you know, not to the lavender, not to the royal purples, but pushes towards the blue. And so we impress our minds on that and say, this is blue, (laughs) when really it's a shade of purple. So sometimes in the garden centers, in your local plant nurseries, when you're looking at plant tags and looking at plants, if something is not in flower so you can actually see the, um, see the bloom for yourself with your own eyes, you may read a description that uses the word blue and it really refers to a certain shade of purple that gives you a blue feeling maybe. We do it. I think it's because there's not so many true blue uh, flowering plants in in horticulture, in gardening, that we try to make as many blues as we possibly can. So there are some things like some people will say um, blue flocks, blue flocks. There's pink flocks, there's white flocks, there's red flocks, there's blue flocks. When really, it's just sort of a pale purple. It's not truly blue. But we still, for some reason, want to categorize it as blue just because we have few options when it comes to blue. I think it's a case of wishful thinking, wishful thinking. But today, on the other hand, we will be talking about plants that truly could be categorized as blue true blues now there may be different shades of blues there may be a pale blue there may be a rich blue Uh, there may be a few dark blues but these will be flowering plants that actually give us true to some shade (laughs) of blue the first plant that I want to talk about is one that we've talked about before, uh, but we haven't pondered on the color of it so much. We mentioned the color, and you know this well. You probably have this plant uh, in your garden, or if you don't, somebody you know probably does. It goes hand-in-hand with the southeast. It is has become... Um, And a historical garden plant for our area, a heritage plant, if you will. It is not from here. This plant is from parts of Japan in particular, along the coastal areas uh, where, of course, they can handle salt spray, which you and I, if you're here in the Piedmont, don't have to worry about. If you're somewhere near the coast, this is a great contender if you deal with any kind of salt spray uh, from the sea. But you know it. It's hydrangea. And this is hydrangea macrophylla, the big leaf hydrangea. All of the big leaf hydrangeas are gorgeous. Some of them perform better in the landscape. Um, And you know that with these blue and pink hydrangeas, their color can be quite variable. So that's really what we're going to focus on is how to get that true blue out of a hydrangea. Now remember that hydrangeas can change their color from blue to pink depending on the pH of the soil. Now the pH of a soil is basically the measure of acidity or alkalinity in the soil. Sometimes we will say the soil is acidic or the soil is sweet or alkaline. Now, remember, this would take us back to chemistry class and uh, none of that is all that fun. Uh, But basically, if your soil is more acidic, then your blooms on your hydrangeas will be blue, some shade of blue. And it is usually a good true blue. But if your soil is sweeter or more alkaline, then your blossoms will tend to be more pink, more pink. So you can purchase... A big leaf hydrangea, it may be blooming in the pot with pink flowers. But when you plant the plant and it hangs out there for about a year and it blooms the following season, it's very possible, particularly in our Piedmont area, where we have these old soils, these old clay soils that are quite acidic, that pink hydrangea of last year has now produced flowers that are blue. In the southeast, uh, well, particularly our region, our soils tend to be a bit acidic, just enough so that our hydrangeas usually are going to be blue. Now, you can guarantee that your plants <laughs> would stay blue year after year if you are applying a soil acidifier around your hydrangeas. Now, a soil acidifier, something like aluminum sulfate, aluminum sulfate in particular is going to help keep the soil more acidic, and it's also providing aluminum. Now, we're going to get a little detailed here, but even though the, um, the, P- the lower pH, the more acidic pHs, produces a blue flower, what's actually happenin- happening happening is, is that aluminum is more available to the plant, and that's what's sort of triggering this color change. So by applying aluminum sulfate, the sulfur in the product will help keep the uh, soil slightly acidic and the aluminum will increase the uh, amount of aluminum available. Now you may have plenty of aluminum available, but if your pH is too high, then the plants cannot take in that aluminum and that will not give you that blue color change. So... Keep that in mind. You don't necessarily need more aluminum. You don't necessarily need more acidity. uh, But keeping that acidity lower is definitely going to ensure that you have bluer blooms. Now, if you do want pink, all we have to do is start treating our hydrangeas with lime. Lime, some kind of uh, pH changing factor. And lime does the job. It raises the pH. It sweetens the soil. And it reduces the amount of aluminum that's available to turn those blossoms blue but i do love a good blue hydrangea and most likely if you're planting anywhere near uh, northeast georgia naturally your hydrangeas will probably want to bloom blue when we get back from this break gang we're going to talk about even more blue flowers as we continue gardening with the blues here on new southern garden hang on tight where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family, and let's grow well. Give it a go! So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about... Gardening with the blues. And again, I'm not referring to gardening with a depressed spirit or a downhearted nature, uh, but rather gardening with flowers, plants that actually bloom a true blue. Now, if you're just joining us uh, here this morning, you missed that. I I mentioned sometimes we use the word blue quite loosely in our gardening and nurseries uh, all of that because we really want blue plants and there's not that many of them so we will put the color blue the word blue on about any plant that appears to be close to that but usually when we use the word blue lots of times uh, it's more of some shade of purple but the plants today i think fall into the category of true blue and we shouldn't be fearful that we're getting some offshade, uh, secondhand purple that we're trying to masquerade as a blue. We were talking about the big leaf hydrangeas before the break. Of course, uh, the, I didn't list any varieties, but I'd like to give you a few. Nico blue is tried, true, dependable. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It's not a reblooming hydrangea. So you might want to consider some of the newer varieties from the Endless Summer group, uh, Endless Summer in particular. And there's some, some other brands, if you will. It's, plants are becoming like tennis shoes, Nike, Reebok, Adidas. Uh, we've got different brands and people are holding plant patents on these particular varieties. Uh, but the Endless Summer, of course, uh, has, has been out for for maybe nearly 2 decades now and it was one of the first kind of classic hydrangea but with a good reblooming pattern so you get blossoms in the spring uh, or early part of summer and then continue on and off until frost so in uh, the summer reblooms but some of the, I like some of the classics Uh, Penny Mac. Penny Mac is quite re-blooming too, and she has been a great bloomer, been in landscapes for a long time. You either get the classic pink or the classic blue color, depending on where you are. And with the um, Penny Mac, a lot of times I see a little bit of both, the blue and the pink, even on the same flower or on the same plant. Uh, And then all summer beauty, summertime blues, some of these are some great classic could be blue could be pink depending on your soil type Uh, but of course you can alter that like we talked about earlier now uh, getting away from the shrubs talking about maybe some annual plants and some perennial things there are some good blues even in that world smaller plants things that maybe die down to the year uh, die, die down to the ground and come back the perennials or plants that are going to die at the end of the year and you'll have to replant next year so if you're looking for blue in a container, an annual container that could sit on the patio, on the porch, you really want some cascading blue effect, don't forget about lobelia. Now, lobelia might be a bit harder to find, uh, but there are some great true blue lobelias. I haven't seen this one, but I was doing some research and came across one called Laguna. Laguna series, there's a sky blue uh, lobelia and there's an indigo blue, some great different shades of true blue but of course they can complement uh, almost, Any color you've got going, yellows and oranges, if you're building a container and want to throw in a splash of that cool blue, then be sure to look out for lobelias. They maybe even tend to flow over the edge of a container, kind of like a waterfall. And of course, with those blue, blue petals, it really will look like a waterfall in a basket or on a container. So you've got these trailing things, at window boxes, uh, but they can also be planted in the ground, and they'll sort of trail like a ground cover, uh, these Laguna lobelias. Now, even though this particular lobelia is more heat tolerant than some, that's why we don't see a lot of lobelia in the south. Uh, They don't maybe love the heat, uh, but some of these here are... uh, better loving of the heat or can handle the heat they definitely don't love it but their bloom pattern here's the only downfall to using lobelia here in the south is that their bloom pattern is going to slow down the amount of blooms that they give will slow down uh, if the night temperatures are over 70 degrees so you might see during the heat of summer that lobelia you might as well replace it but until we get those very warm nights Give Lobelia a shot. Give it a try. I think you'll really like the color. But even if they stop blooming when it gets hot at night, just use that opportunity to shear the plants back, uh, maybe by a third, chop them back, and they'll probably be leggy anyway. So this will increase bushiness, and this will increase compactness. And then once the nights start cooling down after the uh, dead heat of summer, The Lobelia will return again with beautiful blossoms, and uh, they'll bloom until frost. Until the nights get extremely cold and we get into a true frost, you will continue to have Lobelia blooms. Now, let's talk about a perennial that usually is sold as a bulb. A bulb. Uh, I do like bulbs, but this particular bulb I have a history with. I planted them years ago. I just found them at a box store somewhere in a garden center in a little bag, little plastic bag with holes in it you know and of course they zoom in on these uh, flowers uh, for their marketing on the tag and they they look like these gorgeous uh, large flowers they're really small they're really small and this is the muscari muscari now muscari of course is going to be sometimes we call it grape hyacinth they have these uh, small little sets of leaves uh, they pop up a tall spike of flowers and right at the top is a cluster of these kind of small cone-shaped um, inflorescence made up of small tiny bell-shaped and blue flowers the blue bell shape is quite attractive they're clustered together it looks like a bunch of grapes <laughs> on the top of this flowering spike um, and each one of that spike is it's just covered and they're nearly bead like even uh, before they open, they just look like this beautiful blue sapphire like um, uh, bead. So the range can happen from light blue to deep violet blue. And many times you get a light violet uh, set of flowers on the top, whereas the lower part is more of that deep violet. So it's very, very close. And you've got to get up close to catch a light fragrance, but it is one of these uh, flowers that gives us some fragrance. And we called it the grape hyacinth. And if you get up close and smell the flowers, uh, you get a whiff of it. But it does smell much like grapes. And so there you go with that. So we've got this, uh, what happens uh, in the spring, this is mainly a spring bloomer, is uh, the grape hyacinth will grow a single broad leaf that curls out around the bloom as the bloom is emerging. Now the foliage dies back in early summer, uh, usually a little later than maybe other spring bulbs like tulips or daffodils. Um, But... The broadleaf grape hyacinth is going to multiply by these little bubblets and seeds. So it naturalizes very easily in a perennial bed. Or if you have a sort of rough lawn and you want some beautiful blue flowers just naturalized in and amongst the lawn, well, be sure to scatter some in your lawn. But they will spread a bit, so it's nearly a ground cover. Um, But it's not, I mean, they're quite dainty. They're not like a creeping jenny ground cover or an Asiatic jasmine that just pushes and spreads and spreads. But they will naturalize well, much like uh, those other spring bloomers, the daffodils. So you can take the bulbs directly into the sod or into your perennial bed uh, to bring that color and, of course, to bring early pollinators. It can be a great source. The grape hyacinth, the muscari, can be a great source of... uh, food source for pollinators in that spring uh, early spring time and it is uh, it's very appropriate to not mow down the foliage don't trim back the foliage until the foliage dies down So that's the one thing about naturalizing bulbs in a lawn is we want to at least um, carry that green foliage into the early part of summer before we mow them down. So even in a perennial bed, don't trim the foliage back. Let it be because what's going to happen is that bulb is trying to replenish its reserves, strengthen the roots, strengthen the bulbs so that it can bloom just as well next spring as it did that first spring. So muscari is a great plant. We've talked about lobelia. These are true blues, and uh, one is an annual. The lobelia muscari comes back year after year. So many uses on these true blue plants. When we get back, we've got even a more list of plants to go with that are blooming with blue. Hang on tight.
0: unfolded for the world to behold.
1: So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about the color blue, but not just the color blue, because we wouldn't have a lot to talk about, I guess, but in the plant world, we do have a good number of true blue flowering plants. Sometimes they push towards the purples, Uh, but regardless, blue is coveted probably by every gardener who likes blue, at least. I like blue. It's probably one of my favorite colors. It has been since I was a kid, I guess, Uh, but blues can give you that cool relaxing feel if you've got a shady spot and you want to have a place uh, where people can feel relaxed and calm down maybe around a patio a private secluded area uh, or if you want to mix it up with some hot spicy colors blues can work well in a versatile uh, area versatile areas of use they have a I don't know. I didn't really say that well, did I? They are quite versatile, and they can be used in many areas. That's better. That's better. (laughs) So we've talked about, of course, hydrangea. We've talked about lobelia, which is a great uh, annual for containers or kind of an annual ground cover in your flowering beds. And then we've talked about the grape hyacinth, which is a small early blooming flower. We I used to grow them when I was a kid. I loved them. They don't last long, you know. But they are a great, source of poly, uh, great food source for pollinators, like early pollinators who are just coming out of hibernation or dormancy, and they're looking for a snack. So in the similar vein as the grape hyacinth, we could talk about true hyacinth. True hyacinth. Now, the thing you know, hyacinth, uh, many times you will find hyacinths, true hyacinths, um, at the garden centers, maybe even the box stores, uh, over winter, early spring, and they're in these little glass jars with nothing but rocks and some water. And yet this plant is surviving in this glass of water. It is blooming. It has beautiful leaves. Uh, All of those things are hyacinths, but of course they've been forced. Uh, They usually are an early spring bloomer. uh, But the great thing about Putting them in the landscape is they're quite deer and rabbit resistant. So, if you're dealing with a horde of deer, if you're dealing with a uh, fluff, what was it, a fluffle? I think it's a fluffle of rabbits. If you're dealing with all these mammals as potential pests for your plants, then you may consider growing hyacinths. And I think that hyacinths look best in mass. We're talking about a big, broad planting, not just three or four four bulbs together, even though if used creatively with other plants, uh, that can make a lot of sense. But I love to see hyacinths that are just stacked up like soldiers in this big, uh, broad bed. Now, some of them are going to be pink. Some of them are going to be white. Some of them are going to be purple. But there are some that are quite Tried and true blue, like Blue Jacket Hyacinths. It gives you a rich royal blue color that looks great, like we said, in a mass planting or combinations with yellows and pinks, maybe even reds, of other early blooming spring bulbs. You could even grow these hyacinths maybe underneath deciduous shrubs. So, of course, those are those shrubs that drop their leaves in the wintertime. And early in the spring when hyacinths are blooming, usually these deciduous shrubs still are just naked stems. And so having hyacinths planted directly underneath them gives you this idea of color, kind of hidden a little bit. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. Or if you want to plant them with perennials that maybe are slow to start, You'll start having color in those perennial beds earlier than waiting for some of those later blooming perennials to get going. But they do need uh, full sun until they're shaded by these companion plants that are emerging. So that's why it's okay to plant them under deciduous shrubs because they're getting plenty of sun early on as soon as they pop up. And then they're actually probably going to benefit a bit by having a little bit of shade as they go dormant. Now, the hyacinths do die back and they go dormant. Their yellow leaves are going to be hidden beneath and under the leaves and cover of these other plants so there's many reasons why we would plant hyacinths with other plants that um, again aren't going to have leaves early but will have leaves later or maybe don't really do anything until summer starts getting here or at least the warm part of spring so hyacinths if you use them creatively their kind of nasty yellow leaves will be hidden but you will be able to enjoy that true blue particularly of this one um, that's got a great royal blue called blue jacket hyacinth Uh, it will be wonderful now they do make great long lasting cut flowers and they have a bit of a powerful fragrance so if you're not into fragrance don't bring them indoors because it is quite powerful Uh, but i already mentioned that sometimes hyacinths are forced to bloom and that's what you see uh in the box stores and the garden centers uh in off-seasons, maybe when it's really cold, maybe maybe even during Christmas time, but they will have these hyacinths forced to bloom, and that's not uh, too hard to do. You just uh, can do this over winter, put them in water, maybe some stones or in a bit of soil, and you'll want to make sure that you chill the bulbs for 10 to 12 weeks. You'll be committed <laughs> uh, b- between uh, two, three months, and you will chill the bulbs at 40 to 45 degrees in the fridge. That's a great place to force them. And that will ensure that they will bloom. So then you bring them back into the warmth after uh, 10 to 12 weeks. Give them some light, maybe a sunny window indoors, and you will have even true blues over the winter. So hyacinths are quite unique. They're quite uh, beautiful. Uh, of course, they they do last long for a flower, but in many cases... Um, You know, being a bulb, it only blooms one time. It only blooms one time. Uh, So, let's talk about um, Amsonia. This is a great native plant. We call it Blue Star. Blue Star. And mine at the house are blooming this weekend. Uh, On the way into the studio, of course, I noticed that they're blooming. And they're looking really good. Now, they bloom in the early part of spring. They send up a cluster of these bright green stems, happy green stems, with very thin foliage. The foliage is so thin that you may think this is just a grass. But as soon as they get up to height and the time is right, right on the tips of this feathery-like foliage, you see these uh, clouds of pale blue flower clusters. Now, the great thing about Amsonia... Uh, despite the fact that it only blooms one time in the spring, is that it has this feathery foliage through the summer, and that same feathery foliage is going to light up the autumn with a beautiful, glorious, golden yellow. It lights up the border in the fall. So even though throughout the summer it's not blooming, it is providing you with that uh, nice, bright green and feathery foliage But wait till the fall because the blue stars will really look great. Now, they're quite small for some perennials. Uh, They're three feet tall. So if you have a small landscape, this may be the tallest perennial you might use. But it can hang out in the backside of the border, giving a backdrop for all of the summer blooming perennials that I know you'll want to include along with it again. It's a great native to the southeast uh, here in the U.S., and it works well with native grasses, native wildflowers, and does help you uh, achieve a natural setting. So if you're looking for a wildflower uh kind of border or give you that wild look amsonia does do that but they're well-behaved they uh, they spread by clumping they don't run and pop up uh, maybe only randomly but they don't have a, a large underground system of stems that pops up here and there they pretty much stay well-behaved right where you planted them they just get wider. And I love that because that means you can divide them and get more Amsonia or Blue Star year after year. Now, Amsonia, the Blue Stars, they do love the sun and it tolerates dry soil. Wonderful for us, right? As a matter of fact, if they get too much shade, they might get leggy. But in full sun, it is a good idea to shear the plant back by a third right after, after the flowers are done. That's going to keep the plant very full and very compact, and it does prevent it from seeding. That is one way that Amsonia, the blue stars, are going to seed, uh, propagate themselves, is by seed. So if you allow them to fall, you may have babies. They don't run and spread, but they will spread if their seeds are allowed to fall. So again, the blue stars, only about uh, three foot tall and about the same width. They're quite hardy. They can be grown up into zone four, so that would be uh, southern Wisconsin. It's quite uh, quite north, but they do give you that pale blue flower. It's not a rich blue, but it is a blue. It's just pale. And you get that starting now in uh, late spring and pushing into early summer, uh, maybe depending on where you will be growing this beautiful native plant that we call Blue Star. Blue Star, love it, love it, love it. I do have to mention a plant that is perennial uh, that comes and blooms in the summer. Now, I like to sometimes call these the alliums of summer. You know, we talked about alliums that particularly bloom in the spring. It's not an allium at all, but it gives you the same similar flowering uh, spike. So the agapanthus, or some call them the lily of the Nile. They are in the lily family. They have strap-like green foliage that just rises out of the ground and makes a cute little clump, little cluster. But then when uh, summer really gets here and it starts warming up, These lily of the Nile, the agapanthus, will send up a straight, skinny stem up into the air. And then the flowers will burst open like a globe, right on top of that naked stem. Now, the lily of the Nile, the agapanthus, they do come in a variety of colors, particularly whites and blues, we say. But many times, it's purple. So you can find uh, shades of white, creamy to pearl bright white, Uh, then, of course, you can find rich purples, you can find pale purples, and you can find colors that really are a true blue. Um, If you are growing too far north, you may not have be able to grow these um, outside. Now, most of them will be zoned at as cold as zone 6, which, of course, uh, is sort of the northern boundary of our state. There's 6B up in the mountains. And you might have to protect these. You might have to protect these over winter, maybe indoors. Um, but Zone 6 is particularly one, um, uh, that there's a particular plant called Galaxy Blue that can really handle Zone 6. If you're growing in Zone 7 or 8, you should be able to grow most all of the agapanthus in the ground and still get dependable uh, re-emergence of this plant year after year but galaxy blue is one that is going to be quite cold hardy at zone six Um, so if you want to grow agapanthus as a perennial be sure that you are sourcing varieties that can handle your zone that goes with the case of any plant uh, if you want them to return, make sure they can handle your coldest winter temperatures. But particularly this galaxy blue has these star-shaped flowers, the cobalt blue um Uh, clusters of flowers that hang on top of these tall, straight stems. It's really a reliable bloomer, too. Uh, Some of these newer ones, like galaxy blue, these agapanthus can bloom on into the fall, so you will have a wide span of flowers. If we use hyacinth in the garden in the spring, we get a few weeks. Uh, That gives us a good blue for a few weeks. But if we use agapanthus in the summer, then we're going to have potentially uh, blue color in the landscape for many weeks so we've just got to get creative we've just got to get pretty selective as far as what we're using where we're putting it um, and I think you'll find that the agapanthus are wonderful they can help give you that cottage feel if you're looking for a cottage or also I think they work well if you're looking to grow sort of a more modern looking garden they're quite neat quite tidy they clump and they give you those beautiful blue globes all summer long. So gang, we've got more blue plants to talk about. When we get back from this break, break, hang on tight. A room, a room. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we continue our discussion on on gardening with the blues. And again, we're not talking about our state of mind, even though, like I said before, I do think that gardening will help a blue state of mind. But we are talking about gardening with plants that have blue flowers. Blue flowers—that's what this is about. You know, blue is quite coveted. We don't find a lot of true blues, but today we are discovering at least a handful of plants that do provide true blues. And I do want to mention a plant that you will find as seed packs all over the place this time of year, and that would be the lupins. The lupins. Now, there are the Russell hybrid lupins, which usually are sold as a mix of seed, and, uh, you know, some will be blue, some will be pink, some will be yellow. They're quite outstanding plants uh, when they grow well. We'll get to that later. Then you may see Texas bluebonnet, which is another lupin, um, and it's usually all in a great shade of blue. There's really no other color. That's how it gets its name, the Texas bluebonnet. And then there is a native lupin that is called uh, perennis, or the um, blue flowered sundial lupin. And that's actually native to the southeast. Here's the trouble with lupin, and this is why I wanna mention it. I'm gonna mention this plant not because it's great in the landscape, but because it's one plant that if you see it on a seed pack, a rack of seed packs, you will probably buy it just because of that beautiful uh, blossom. Now, the lupins are sort of these uh, stalk like plants perennials perennial in some places at least Uh, but they have these uh, hand-shaped leaves at the base and then when they bloom they send up this tall spike uh, of just a cluster of beautiful pea flowers pea-like flowers because they are in the bean family the trouble though is lupin doesn't love heat humidity or wet feet and remember it gets hot we have humidity, and our clay soils tend to stay um, quite wet, particularly after heavy periods of rain. So the lupins are not easy to grow. The Russell hybrids, I've tried them before. I've gotten things to germinate, but I have not necessarily uh, been successful with carrying them through to their bloom. Then, of course, the Texas bluebonnet might be a better chance to go with but even more of a better lupin would be our southeast native the sundial lupin which is blue flowered they come in a different shades of blue especially if you're growing them from seed um, it's not a no-brainer lupin they still can struggle uh, with those wet feet heat and high humidity but Again, you're not trying to produce these plants on a large scale. We probably just want a small patch. So if we can handle an area for these lupins to grow where maybe we have better drainage, maybe it's a cooler area in your landscape, I mean that's hard to say when summer gets here, isn't it? Uh, but lupins don't give up on them, uh, but be sure to uh, contemplate them well. And you know just because somebody says you can't grow it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. <laughs> i know that uh, when i was studying horticulture at uga even the professor said uh, this probably won't grow here but don't take my word for it give it a try give it a shot uh, with that being said there is a much better plant which is native completely they're all native and that's the well for the most part uh the baptisias the Baptisia, some are native the southeast some are native more out west but the baptisia or false indigo Gives you a very similar looking plant, maybe more robust than the lupins, uh, but there are some great blues. Now there's some great yellows, some great whites, and great purples. But now with breeding, the Baptesias have just exploded. We're getting some great varieties like Lemon Meringue, which is a beautiful bright yellow. We're getting uh, Cherry's Jubilee by Proven Winners, which is a yellow with sort of a rusty auburn color mixed in, kind of cherry like. And then there is Pink Lemonade. The list goes on and on. They're breeding these uh, Baptesias and getting some great colors and forms so in better place of a lupin the baptisia can give you a similar looking plant a similar looking flower and similar colors but the great thing about baptisia is they're not picky they're not picky like the lupin they can handle uh hot drought conditions They only bloom uh, one time a year, kind of this time of year in the spring. But then they have this great blue-green foliage that carries you over until the frost. And it's so funny to watch um, Baptisia grow because when we do get a frost, like that first frost hits them hard, and every leaf and stem starts turning black almost overnight. And you know that they're done for the year. But don't worry. Those Baptisias, those false indigos, will be returning. And again, they have a great color, great color of blue when it comes to false indigos. Now, uh, sort of in the same vein, you know, I started this segment with lupin, which is sort of a plant that gives you good blues, but not a plant that is wonderful in the south. I do want to leave you with another plant that you need to look up. You need to look at some pictures of this. I couldn't explain it on the, um, the air, but the Himalayan blue poppy. The Himalayan blue poppy gives you such these emotions of beauty, grandeur, awe, but also frustration and failure. Because even though this is probably one of the bluest of blue flowers you could find on the planet, they don't necessarily like the southeast. And it's really hard to grow them in other places than where they originate, which is in the Himalayas. Uh, The Himalayas are sort of at at an elevation like Florida, but with this huge mountain range. So elevation is not necessarily a problem. But the reality is, is if you could get them to grow the first year, they may make it. Uh, They may not return the next year, but if they do return the next year, I'll put it this way, they usually die in the first year. They may struggle through a couple of years. They'll never look like the photo in the seed catalog or at the online plant nursery. They'll never look like their photo uh, in our area. And again, this is a plant that I have bought seed for, had utter uh, failure with it, we can always give it a try. Now, this mechanopsis or this Himalayan blue poppy has, like I said, the most kind of iridescent blue you could find. And of course, being seed grown, there could be different shades of it. But everybody wanted this plant. There's a great story about it um, that a professor told us in school was that uh, somebody decided, he didn't mention any company names, but a mail order nursery, which was respectable, um, put this blue poppy all over the color and a lot of people bought the poppies, but a lot of people were disappointed. (laughs) So I want to bring to end the discussion today, even though the Himalayan blue poppy is not something that is going to love our heat, our humidity, uh, they are going to love uh, cool summers, uh, winters that are mild, or at least the ground is maybe consistently insulated with snow. If you don't have those conditions, it's probably not safe to use it. But I will tell you, I've never seen the Mechanopsis, the Himalayan blue poppy, in bloom in person. I probably never will unless I travel to some far-off place that is not the southeast. (laughs) But it is worth a a plant looking at, researching, at least see the kind of beauty that uh, nature has produced with this outstanding blue color. I've not seen it anywhere else. I don't know if we ever would, but... We'll probably never see it in our gardens. They just don't do well. All right, gang. Well, today we have talked all about the color blue, gardening with the blues. I hope that uh, you'll re- join us next week for more New Southern Garden here on WRWH ninety three point nine FM. For New Southern Garden, I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Go.